so let's pray as we get into Haggai here. Lord, thank you uh, for your word this morning. I pray that you just um, give me the words that you want to say, Lord. If there's stuff I've prepared that you don't want, just cross it out here. And um, I just thank you for the congregation here this morning, Lord. I pray that the words would go clear and concise. And uh, yeah, I just thank you for this time. Amen. Amen. So uh, Matt's on vacation. If you, I don't know, I haven't seen him here today. Um, <laughs> don't tell me he's here if you see him. Haggai, Haggai chapter 2. So we, uh, about a month ago maybe, I went through Haggai chapter 1, and now we'll continue on and finish the book here this morning into chapter 2. If you guys didn't know, actually, Matt was going to go up to uh, the HMI hockey camp in Williams Lake and they canceled that, obviously, um, due to the fires. So he's on a mini vacation for the next little bit here. And um, yeah, so he'll be giving me a score out of 10 at the end of all this. <laughs> so Haggai, the prophet Haggai, he was a prophet with a lot to say in just a little bit of time. Uh, in a span of just months, Haggai came on the scene with five messages from God. Chapter 1 of Haggai was largely about rebuke. It was about the people of Israel. They'd, they'd returned to Jerusalem and they started to rebuild the temple. But they got complacent. They began to put God second behind their own desires and wants. And Haggai called on the people to consider your ways or to, to put your heart to the road. And what do you know? They did. They turned from disobedience to obedience and that pleased God. For all you parents out there, who know a thing or two about teaching obedience. I don't really, but hey, may the Lord bless you as you raise your children. <laughs> I'll say that. This past week, my sister's been down from Kelowna. Um, she's got two children, Benton and Adelaide, and the, probably the cutest kids you'll ever meet. And uh, they just, or they're about to turn one and four. Um, but let me tell you something. It is the best time when they come down you know, it's awesome, but I think it's a good reminder to me that, yeah, I'm not quite ready for kids yet. Every few months, it's a good reminder. It's like a good way for me to check in and say, ah, yeah, not yet. I'm not ready yet. Um, it's fun, right? You get to, I enjoy the playing. I enjoy the fun. I enjoy the just random things that Benton comes up with. But let, let me tell you something. When it comes to rebuke, I'm glad I just get to hand that off. All the crying and fussing and whining, I can just hand that back off to my sister Amy. And how often does a parent rebuke a child in a nice, loving manner, and what do you get back? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I promise to never do that again. No, you don't get that, do you? <laughs> you get sass, you get whining, you get crying, and it's all because you wouldn't let your kid carry the Lego bin upstairs. How good would it be to look at a child and rebuke them, and have them respond in a manner that blows you out of the water. What? You'll, you'll gladly pick up those toys that you just threw on the ground? You'll, you'll stop pulling your pants off because you got a little drop of water on them? And y you'll quit rubbing that cake all over your face? And I think that's a little bit how God feels here. The people were rebuked, and they responded in obedience, and God was pleased. Chapter 1 had a theme of rebuking whereas chapter 2 has a theme of encouragement. And I don't know about you, but encouragement sounds a little bit more fun than rebuke. 
Chapter 2 starts in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. It's about a month after we left chapter 1. The people have been hard at work. They've been rebuilding the temple tirelessly. And God is pleased for the most part. Let's read verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? The word of the Lord comes to the people of Israel through Haggai for the third time. Speak to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, and to all the people. And here for the third message actually is the first time, if you look through there, even though it got to all the other people, the first time it was directly directed towards all the people as well, all the remnant. Previously, it was just towards Zerubbabel and, and Joshua. God says, Who among you saw this house in his former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? If you're looking for a great read, uh, go read Ezra. It's an awesome read that goes along with Zechariah and Haggai. Read through Ezra. Chronologically, a lot of some of the events tie in the same, and they're happening at the same time. And if we look at Ezra 3, we get some insight into what the people were thinking of the temple as it was being built. Ezra 3, verse 12 is up on screen. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. So as the foundations of the new temple were being rebuilt, as some were rejoicing and, and shouting aloud for joy, as, you know, we're, we're rebuilding a temple for God, the old men who had seen the first temple, King Solomon's temple, they were crying. They were weeping. And the, the, some of the people are, are you crazy? You're, why are you crying? We're, re, we're rebuilding a temple for God. But, but you young bucks just don't understand. Our first temple we built was gorgeous. It was a beautiful thing to look at. The, the walls and floors were overlaid with solid gold. The pillars were, were made with cedar from Lebanon and and there's two massive olive wood cherubims standing at the entrance to the dwelling place of the Lord. It was beautiful. You know, there's a joke in our house. Um, one time we went to a restaurant. It was a, a bit of a fancy restaurant. It was like the kind of restaurant where you look down at the menu instead of up. And as they were bringing the food, every course would be brought with the spiel of, of you know, oh, here's your deliciously slow-roasted beautifully plated, expertly sautéed, melt-in-your-mouth potato. And it was kind of like, oh, give me a break. I'll be the judge if this is beautiful and expert. And Don't tell me what it looks like. So if you guys feel the same way, go to First Kings and uh, read through it for a closer look at just how amazing the first temple was. And you'll really get an idea of just how extravagant the first temple was. These old men could only see what was on the outside. They could only get a surface picture of what was going on, and they couldn't see that. It's not about what the building looks like on the outside. It's about who's on the inside. And I'm thankful for that, because in 1 Corinthians 6.19, that tells us that, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And praise the Lord about that, because let me tell you, 
My body is a temple with the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, and all I seem to get when I go out is some crying and weeping from the old men. I don't get any joyous cries from anyone else. I must personally be a little bit more towards the second temple than the first. In fact, all I ever get is, uh, is uh, comments about my big ears and receding hairline from the pastor up on the stage here. I don't get any talk about the extravagantness of this temple. As the temple's being rebuilt, all that the people can think about is the past and how good the previous temple was. All they can do is compare and be stuck in the past. You know what? Don't let the past paralyze you in the present. It's good to learn from the past, to remember and to dwell upon. But as soon as we get stuck and and we start reminiscing on the good times and thinking about how good everything was and and how good it used to be, we we can get frozen still right where we are in the present just paralyzed to move forward out of fear of what might happen. And some of you might say, but Blake, what are we doing right now? We're reading, we're learning from this book, from the Bible that's thousands of years old. And you know, don't get me wrong, the past is good. The past is great. You know, we had probably the, the best thing to happen to mankind in the past of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us once and for all so that I can be saved from my sins. But you know what I can do now because of what happened in the past? I can look forward to the future. I can look forward to the day of Christ's return. You know, very soon, Christ is going to return. He's returning, and that's something that we can be excited for. We don't need to dwell on the past. You know, we don't need to dwell on our personal mistakes and, and all the things we've done wrong and all the times we've failed or screwed up. But we can look to the past, and because of what Jesus has done for us, we can now look forward to the future. We get to wipe wipe clean of our sin and point our eyes to the coming days. You know, in ministry, um, focusing on the past can be dangerous. One of the things I actually personally had a hard time with when I was doing the youth group was uh, sometimes comparing myself to others. You know, you you look at the, the youth group that you're in charge of, and you go, well it's okay, like it's good, you know, it's a good time and, and we've got good numbers and we're doing a midweek Bible study and it's good, but you know, if, if only I could get a youth group as good as, as some of the other youth groups around here or, 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 you know, back in the day they had a group called Fogo around here and you know, that, that was a big youth group. They had their problems, but you know, if, if I could just get our youth group more like that, you know, become more of a community youth group and, and really capture all these kids, then, then I'll have really done something good. That's when I know I've done something good. And that's a toxic way of thinking, isn't it? God doesn't want us to compare our ministry to other people, to things that have happened in the past. He doesn't want us to look at, at all the, the men and women across you know Europe and that have gone all across and converted all these people, and and he doesn't want us to to compare to that. He just wants us to be obedient to what he's given us. You know, whether you're the pastor of a 10,000-person church or or if you're just simply cleaning a church once a month at CTK or or you're providing sandwiches once a week to kids at, at Gibson's Elementary, no ministry is more important than others. God simply wants you to be obedient to the ministry that he's given you. We don't have to compare to each other and, and think, well, you know, the senior pastor's more holy because, 
because he speaks to a congregation every week and what do, all I do is serve coffee. If God calls you to serve coffee, then that's just as important as any other ministry in God's temple. Sometimes the smallness of my gifts, what I think are the smallness of my gifts, seem to paralyze me as I do things. You know, I, I think, well, I don't have any formal training in how to read a Bible. What do I have to share? Or, or you know, sometimes you think, well, what does, what does Sunday night prayer do? Really? In the grand scheme of things, there's billions of people around the world, and you really think God has time to, to listen to a, a small group of people praying for each other? Yes, he does, for sure. The devil's constantly at work in you, trying to downplay your gifts. Just because your temple seems small and minuscule compared to the other people that have come before, don't let that paralyze you in the present to do nothing, to just sit idle. That's letting Satan win. If you have Jesus in your heart, that's what's important. It's not about how beautiful I can craft my words into a 45 minute, okay, maybe 30 minute sermon every week. Although, you know, you know, sometimes actually I'm, I'm, when I prep during the week, I, I read some of these old preachers like Tozer and, and Matthew Henry and those guys like that. And let me tell you, I can hardly understand anything that they are writing. If I start teaching with those words, my sermons will jump up to close to two hours just because I will struggle to pronounce anything that they are saying. (laughs) But hey, as long as I do it with gladness and happiness and with a servant heart, you guys don't mind, right? Don't let the smallness of your gifts paralyze you in the present. Even something as a simple hello is a good start. You know how amazing the tongue is, this freaky looking thing in your mouth? It can do a lot of damage or a lot of encouragement. I'm going to rattle off a few verses here quickly of uh, speaking of the tongue in the Bible. In Proverbs, the tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. James tells us, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Throughout Acts, there's stories of Paul and the apostles either traveling around town to town, encouraging fellow Christians through Christ. And so as the people are standing there looking on the foundation of the new temple and they see the old men crying and weeping, how do you think that made them feel? There's power in your actions and the words you speak. You don't just have to be an old man to be an example to others. I continually learn this again as my nieces and nephews are here. Usually it has to do with food. But I'll, you know, try and sneak in a cookie after work just before dinner and all of a sudden they're on me asking for a cookie too. And, or, you know, I'll just think about how thirsty I am and all of a sudden there's four nephews and nieces right there looking for a juice box all of a sudden. And, and uh, you know, younger people, they're always watching. Even when you don't think they're watching, they're watching you. Sometimes I'll catch myself saying, maybe I'll say, what the heck? And oh man, all of a sudden I'll just hear that word for the next three weeks. It's brutal. And they're not, all, they're not just watching always in the literal sense like that either, but, but spiritually as well. We tend to replicate what older and more mature people are doing. And personally, I find that kind of scary that I need to be always on. As a Christian, we need to be a good example to others. We need to be uplifting, not crying and and weeping at what we think is lacking in spiritual ministry. Our God is a God of encouragement, 
He's a God of courage and strength. He isn't a God of, of misery. Through Christ, I can do all things who strengthens me. Verse 4 and 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. Be strong in the Lord. Work as if God is with you. Do not fear. Three simple truths delivered right there through, through Haggai from God. Be strong in the Lord. Work as if God is with you. And do not fear. When I just graduated high school, um, I went to work for my brother-in-law at a company called Dryco. It was a drywall delivery company uh, in Edmonton for four months. And, and there was a guy out there who I met when I got there. And I and, uh, can't think of his name right now, but he uh, drove the truck and operated the crane. And his partner, or they called them the Swampers, he just quit. So they teamed me up with this guy. And... This guy was a beast. Like, think of our big guy Greg here on steroids, <laughs> yet as fast as a, he's like, floats, floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. This guy was like just huge, but light on his feet. He was built like a brick house. He could like back that huge 50-foot crane truck basically anywhere. This guy was built to deliver drywall. Like if there was one guy that had a job in life. His job was to deliver drywall. And they teamed me up with them. But like, <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> but no matter who that guy got teamed up with, I wouldn't go out on the truck with him every day. I was maybe three or four days out of the five. Uh, no matter who that guy got teamed up with, Man, that guy made everyone better. He would consistently deliver the most drywall in a day. He was like the Sedin brothers of drywall. Just by, just by being with them, you were all of a sudden so much better. This guy to drywall, now this is a bit of a stretch here, stay with me. This guy to drywall is like God to life. I hardly have to do anything. If I'm teamed up with God, if I get yoked to God, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I don't have anything to fear. I just need to be obedient to the ministry that God has given me and work as if God is with me because he is. Don't mean to give you a secret? The ultimate secret on how to work, how to do the work of God. It's simple. Just be with God. You don't have to do anything. A statement often attributed uh, to Martin Luther that I was reading is him saying, I have so much work to do today. If I don't spend at least three hours praying, I'll never get it all done. How do I be strong in the Lord? Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is his strength. But that's easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? When you're in the middle of the valley and, and you're looking to be strong, it can seem like an impossible task. And that's where God wants to encourage you this morning you know, don't be stuck looking in the past, letting, you paralyze, letting it paralyze you in the present. Use the past to have no fear and to work alongside God in the future. Remember what God's done for you. Remember what he's done for you in the past, all the things he's done for you. 
and be confident going into the future that God is with you. He wants to encourage you. He doesn't want you to fear. He just wants you to be obedient to what he's called you to do, and he will bless you beyond what you can ever imagine. Verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This portion of text in verse 6 is repeated again in Hebrews 12, verse 26, if you want to go home and look it up later. This is a prophecy of what's to come during the tribulation period. The heavens and the earth will be shaken so that the treasures of all nations shall come in to fill the house with glory. The word treasures here actually can also be translated as desires, the desires of all nations. And what's that? Well, you know, it could be money, does nations desire power? But, but actually, it's Jesus. Jesus is the desire of all nations. Isn't that awesome? It gives us a great picture of a few things, actually. Number one, the, the reality of godliness, of Jesus' godliness, that he's the one true king, that of all the nations, he is the desire. He is the one true king to rule on the throne. Number two, it, it gives us a picture of the vast extent of his kingdom, that that he rules over all the earth. And there's not one nation that doesn't desire Jesus. He is the treasure and the desire of all nations. And number three, the fact that Jesus is the true desire of all nations gives us an idea that only Jesus can satisfy our needs and desires. You know, the nations don't always know it. They replace their desire for God with pretty much anything else that they can possibly think of but they're never satisfied. How encouraging is it to know that, that as you're sitting here today and, and as we leave, that as disciples, our job is for everyone to have Jesus. And their desire is to have Jesus, even if they don't know it yet. They won't ever be satisfied until Jesus is filled, filling their heart. The latter glory of this temple will be greater than the former, because Jesus will be brought into the temple and bring peace. Again, it isn't about the gold and, and the silver and the beautiful inlays and, and all this on the outside. It's about the man who dwells on the inside. All the silver and gold is, is God's anyways, right? Don't worry about the money and, and the silver and the gold. and Worry about the man who's coming inside to bring peace rather than the gold and the silver. Verse 10, the Lord has some things to talk to the priests about. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Verse 11, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with the dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, 
declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. In the days of, of Leviticus, uh, there were laws given around the transmission of, of holiness and impurity. And, and even in Jesus' days, they took it one step further, and, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they would, they would walk down the streets with their cloaks tightly clenched to themselves for fear of even just accidentally touching someone that it might make them unclean. Those scribes and Pharisees had a holier-than-thou attitude and, and that they don't, even just a random person, they don't want it to touch because I might become unclean. So Haggai asked the priests, if someone carries holy meat in the same garment as other food, does the other food become holy? Well, no. If someone comes in contact with someone who is unclean, are they both now unclean? Well, yes. So you see, in, in the same manner as, as a healthy child can become sick by being in contact with another child. The sick child cannot become healthy by being in contact with a healthy child. It doesn't work that way. They just both become sick. Don't give it a try. Don't even test it out. You get a real nightmare if you've got two sick kids on your hands. These people of Israel, they think that they can get back in God's good books just by offering up more sacrifices on the temple. On a barely constructed foundation of a temple that God called them to rebuild. They think that, you know, just because, well, I'm in the Holy Land now, I'm back where God wants me, all of a sudden everything's right again and, and everything that I'm going to do is pleasing to God. Meanwhile, their hearts are just all over the place there. They're just putting God's desire second to man's and that just won't cut it to God. It's all about the heart. You could be the most busy-bodied, you know, seemingly spirit-filled person, always go, 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 doing work for God. But if the heart isn't there, then it's deemed unclean to God and no good. You know those people that, I don't think anyone here is like this. <laughs> those people that just, just cry about everything. I know a lady at a, at a church who, you know, just, oh, thou shalt not covet. God, you're so amazing. And I sometimes just think, is that real? Is like, do you cry about not coveting and thou shalt honor your father and mother? You know, I don't know. But it sure seems like maybe the heart isn't there. Sometimes, you know, I, I come to church and I sit down and I start my little internal timer and and then when about 11.45 comes around, you know, my little timer goes off and ding, I'm good. Check mark, I'm good with God for another week. Rapture this week? Ah, I went to church on Sunday. It's good, right? It just, that doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make me holy by just, just spit shining the outside without looking after the man who's on the inside. Verse 15 goes on. Now then, Consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. 
but from this day on, I will bless you. God lays it all out on the line here and levels with these people. You know, before you started following me, how did you do? When your crop came in, there was half. When you went to check on your, your wine, there was even less than half. And now, I don't really drink wine, but I would be pretty ticked if I went to, to expect 50 measures of wine and there was only 20, let me tell you that. But God says in verse 18 to 19, consider this day onward from the 24th day of the ninth month since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. If you remember in Zechariah 1 that Matt spoke on, uh, oh, it had to be a couple months ago by now or something, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. The people heard from the Lord of hosts, and they put it into practice. They returned to the Lord, and the Lord now will fulfill his promise and return to his people, blessing them. He comes with encouragement. You know, right this moment, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But you have been obedient with the task I have given you, and now from this day on, I will bless you. You have returned to God that he may return to you. Do you go into your wine, your metaphorical wine cellar and expecting to find one thing and, and ending up with much less? Or do you plan for something and, and disaster strikes? Consider your ways, the Lord says. He doesn't bust you. He doesn't tell you, hey, you're an idiot. Get your head on straight. My God's a God of encouragement. He tells you to consider your ways. He wants to be teamed up to you. So Haggai finishes with a message directly to Zerubbabel. Verse 20 to 23. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother on that day declares the lord of hosts i will take you o zerubbabel my servant the son of sheltiel declares the lord and make you like a signet ring for i have chosen you declares the lord of hosts how good is it to know that that we are on the side of God, the side of the God who will shake the heavens and earth, overthrow the throne of kingdoms and chariots and their riders. And Zerubbabel on the Lord of hosts' right hand will be the signet ring, a symbol of power through Zerubbabel. The Lord wants to encourage you today. He's a God of encouragement, not a God of, of burden. He doesn't want the past to, to paralyze you in the present. He doesn't want you to let your shortcomings prevent you from, from acting today, prevent you from teaming up with God to work towards the future. For I am with you, God says, and if he is for us, then who can stand against us? Haggai's been an awesome couple of chapters to go through. I mean, who even knew Haggai was in there? Don't lie to me. There's so much good stuff that I don't even know about in the Bible that I haven't even cracked into. And so as we... Get ready to sing one more song here. I just want to leave you with a couple key points from Haggai that I thought are awesome if you're just waking up from your scheduled Sunday morning nap. 
Number one, consider your ways. Set your heart on the road and ensure you're being obedient to what God has called. And if you are being obedient, carry on in those ways. If you feel that something is lacking, change it. Pray and read these words and be yoked to God. Number two, like we read in chapter one, God sometimes has to deconstruct to reconstruct. God is constantly at work in his temple, in you. He doesn't take two-year breaks like the Israelites did. He's always working on his temple to improve you and make you better for God's glory. If things seem like you're being broken apart right now, well, maybe you are. God might be doing a renovation right now. He might be, you know, you might be a mess inside. There might be screws and nails and drywall dust just all over the place. But God's working, and at the end of this renovation, you're going to be more beautiful than before. It's about the man on the inside, not the temple on the outside. And number three, God is a God of encouragement. Be encouraged for the future. Don't let the past paralyze you in the present. Remember and look back on what God has done for you in the past and be bold to walk in the present, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray.